Parker, and I'm your host, James Roberts. Before we get started with this week's show, first off, let me take this opportunity to welcome back the regular listeners, and if this is your first time listening to the show, I hope you enjoy this episode and decide to subscribe to the show. And on today's show, I've got James Veer. James is the current GB Under-16 head coach, and as well as that, is one of the coaches at Barkham Abbey having joined them in the 2014-2015 season. So welcome to the show, James. Thanks, James. Thank you for having me. Uh, James, before we delve into today's episode, can you talk us through your journey, uh, obviously, from the beginning to get into, obviously, where you are now of coaching the under-16s, but previously coaching the under-18s? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, my family is a big basketball family. Uh, we, we all, me and my two brothers, I've got two twin brothers. My dad used to be a coach as well. So we were kind of given a basketball at the age of five or six years old. And pretty much since then, we've been pretty obsessed with basketball since that kind of period in our lives. So I played up until early 20s um, and then from there I moved into coaching. Uh, I started off my coaching uh, at Seven Oaks Suns, which is predominantly a, a women's club now. But Tim Lewis and Rad Miller-Turner asked me to come down and, and, and help out with some coaching sessions there with their boys program. Uh, the next thing you know, uh, I'm kind of running that program um, and I kind of really found a passion for coaching from, from that kind of period onwards. Um, from there, I moved to Medway Park Crusaders, which is, is now Canterbury Crusaders. Worked their academy for a couple of years uh, with Jesse Sazen, who um, has been involved in the national teams for a number of years too. Uh, and then from there, went and coached in Canada for a year at Dalhousie University um, with John Campbell. Uh, which was a great opportunity. And then from there, uh, went to Denmark, uh, coached there for a couple of seasons in the top pro league. Um, unfortunately, the club had some financial issues, so ended up coming back to London, where uh, I've been working at Barking Academy for the last three seasons. Um, also been involved with the national team since then, being the GB Under-20s lead assistant coach for four years. Um, and now have taken the role of GB Under-16s uh, head coach, which uh, we've just finished this summer uh, with pretty successful uh, summer, finishing fourth and just missing out on uh, promotion to Division A. Well, I, I happened to chance and, and caught a little bit of that last game. Uh, gosh, against who was it against? Um, Georgia. Uh, what, what was kind of the expectations for the team going in and maybe, say, from the opposite side of that, the um, stuff that was put out of the media, was it different different expectations? Um, I mean, for, for, for me, the expectations are always going to be win every single game and try and gain promotion. So, in my head... I, I didn't really have any other expectation than, than trying to do that. Now, the, the, the expectations may be from outside of our own camp where the, if we finished in the top eight, I think that that would have been a positive uh, uh, kind of expectation for us. But I think that 
I think that was due to we had quite a few players pull out. Uh, we had uh, Kareem Queeley, who plays at Real Madrid. He made himself unavailable for the team. And we had three or four players that ended up going to America to play high school basketball. So they had to pull out. So I think that when those players pulled out, I think that people from the outside thought that the expectations kind of would drop. Uh, and maybe that we weren't uh, maybe one of the favourites for promotion. But having spent the time with the players and the, the, the group that we had, I knew we had some talent. Um, it was just I didn't know how good we were until we kind of got to the Europeans. And, you know, you win a couple of games there and and you kind of get some momentum behind you. And then, obviously, the, the, uh, you kind of... The, the draw is kind of in your favour as well. I think we had a pretty uh, pretty decent group to try and get through to the next round. And then after that, it's kind of, it's, it's luck of the draw, you know. And as you saw in that final game, uh, it can come down to, you know, a couple of free throws in the last eight seconds. And that can be the difference between promotion to Division A and, and staying in Division B. But also, James, do you think like with the outside expectation being so low, do you think it also would be a factor that it was GB's first tournament at that level? Um, yeah, I, I can kind of kind of see that. I mean, I try and not look at kind of or listen to kind of the outside expectations anyway. I kind of try and stay away from that as much as possible. Um, I try and not speak to that about to speak to the players about expectation either when they're, when they're fifteen and sixteen years old. You know, it's you try and kind of stay in the moment, you know, try and talk to them about taking one game at a time, one training session at a time. So we very, very rarely spoke to the players ever about what the expectations of the team was. Uh, As a coaching staff, we very rarely sat down and said, where are we at? Are we this good? Uh, Are we a top eight team? Are we a top four team? Uh, Are we going to get promotion? Have we got a chance of getting promotion? We very rarely spoke about that. I mean, I tried to, especially with the staff, tried to say to them, you know, we're just going to take it every day, you know, one day at a time and kind of see what happens. And then having been at quite a few European championships uh, in the past with the under-20s, I think that's the best way to be. If you start looking ahead too far, you know, um, it can kind of can be a little bit dangerous, you know. So especially with, you know, so many games coming at you in so many days, I think it's just you've got to take each day as it comes. But... From another perspective, James, would it not be difficult to be able to keep players in a bubble, to so to speak, now with obviously with the likes of, well, probably predominantly Twitter? Uh, of course, 100%. Um, it's, it's hard for, for players, obviously. I mean, they're on social media. I mean, I'm, I'm a big person I, I I believe in social media um, I, I think the players uh, I, I we, we sit down and talk to them about you know being on social media you know being a positive role model on social media using social media so of course they're, they're reading the the um, the stuff that is on social media but also I think that maybe this year maybe compared to all the other years past I feel like there's been an, a huge amount of positivity on social media um, and I think that the guys kind of fed off that um especially when you've got you know we've got other coaches in the in the system you know like Alan Keane and 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 Andreas Kapoulis who both had amazing summers with the 18s and 20s obviously we kind of fed off that energy that they had both of those teams getting promoted I think that that uh was really positive for us especially when those coaches are you know tweeting 
they're doing video messages for us. You know, all of that stuff's kind of positive for us. I mean, um, you can look at it as kind of maybe players looking at that as maybe, you know, maybe a negative as, as there's a lot of expectation on them. But I actually feel like this group used it as positive. Um, and we tried to use it as a positive as much as possible that, you know, if, if back home is uh, kind of behind us and expecting us to win games, we're kind of, you know, our guys kind of fed off that energy, I feel like, especially this summer. But in terms of like video messaging, say from the sen- senior guys, mm-hmm. wouldn't you say that is to some extent normal because there is sort of like a family, so they're going to try and give them as much support as they can? Yeah, I 100% agree. I, I don't think that's always been the case in the past. Um, I, I've, I've, I've done national teams now for, I think this would be my sixth year straight um, or fifth year straight. And, and that hasn't always been the past, you know, uh, hasn't always been the, the norm for, for the national teams. I feel like now uh, we're kind of getting to a point where there is some synergy between, you know, 16s, 18s, 20s and men's where there is kind of, you know, there's there's discussions between all of us. You know, I, I speak to Alan uh, quite a bit. Obviously, Alan was really successful with the 16s England team before. So I, I, I use him as much as possible as, you know, to kind of get some ideas from him, things he's done in the past that have worked. Andreas, I work with, um, with the under 20s and he's, you know, just a, a, an, an amazing coach and, um I speak to him a lot and, you know, about things that he, that's worked with, with with them at the 20s. And, you know, like, I feel like that maybe that hasn't that hasn't always been the norm in the past. And I feel like um, that's now becoming kind of, you know, like a, uh, like we say, like a GB family thing, you know, where we're all in this together. Um, it's not just the men's teams as well. It's the women's teams as well. You know, we, we're, we're watching the under-18 girls games with our guys, uh, when they had their promotion game, you know, I speak to Matt Harbour as well. And, you know, all these other coaches that, that, that coach with the, uh, with the national team. And, and hopefully this is something that we can develop, you know, like a culture and like a GB family kind of going forwards. Cause I feel like in the past that hasn't always been the norm. Uh, hopefully that's something we can continue to develop over the coming years. But wouldn't you agree, James, that having that synergy uh, from a coaching perspective, wouldn't you help? Wouldn't you have thought that having that, um, obviously that synergy between from all the way up from under under 16s all up to senior men's would help with the athletes, obviously long term development. One hundred percent agree. I think it's something I push for, um, for for a number of years now. I, I mean, it doesn't have to be that all three teams are running, you know, the same offense or. Um, have you know the coaches don't have to have you know completely the same philosophies but you know it's it's about kind of having that culture all the way through you know Um, and you see that the other national teams the really successful national teams all have that Um, so I think that if we can continue to develop that I think that's something that could be a real positive for the national teams going forward and probably to build on that point do you see like the like the more established nations look their younger players look to their senior players more as role models as opposed to looking at people say in the NBA? Of course, hundred um, percent. I think that's something that we've got to continue to develop. It's something that we actually with our sixteens. It's something that I was really kind of keen to to push to our guys. So we 
we did a kind of exercise with our players that when we uh, we gave them their national team jerseys, we also gave them kind of like a A4 sheet of paper which was laminated, which had some expectations on there, you know, things that are important to us as a team, important to them as players, but also put down the bottom, you know, players that have worn the jersey before them. Um, so, you know, like some of the, 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 the players that have played before, you know, like that, the, the players that are in the senior team now, like Andrew Lawrence, you know, Kieran Chara, Drew Sullivan, all these guys. So the players can actually, you know, you know, relate to, to those players that have worn the jersey before them. So we're, we're, I, I'm a big believer in, you know, using the senior players as role models. Um, we've got some, some guys in there that uh, are really great role models, I think it's something that um, our players should aspire to be, guys that are in the GB senior team. Hopefully that's something that they um, they enjoy as well. You know, I, I think that the, the senior players, um, I, I know quite a few of them. I think that there should be kind of almost a mentoring role, you know. You know, some of those senior players could, you know, talk, maybe take two or three of the, the younger guys at their position, maybe, you know, talk to them a couple of times a year, you know give them some advice on things, you know, check in on them, see how they're doing with their, their uh, national league teams or teams if they're abroad. Uh, I think that's something that um, I think is important um, kind of going forward. I think that's a good, uh, what's the word I want? Um, I think that you've implemented, obviously, with having the, the names of previous players I've worn the jersey. I think the the, the New Zealanders do that quite well. Obviously, at school level, with um, obviously their all black um, representatives, so the so the kids get a sense of like as you said, there's aspirations to well, that player was once in the same position that that I, that I am in now. So it is obviously with hard work and dedication, it is a real real realistic goal. Unattainable if if I if I work at it, and obviously, it's probably gives you a sense that it, okay, it's not your jersey uh, forever. It's you're playing for be it your family, uh, yeah. where you're from, yeah, and and your country, and and obviously you're setting probably higher standards for say the next person that's going to wear it. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm a big. Uh... You know, I, I, the, the whole All Blacks culture, I mean, a, a book that changed kind of the way I think about things, especially national team level, was, you know, the James Kerbert Legacy, which uh, is a great book. It's something I've read a couple of times now, you know, and it, some of those kind of things that I read in the book, I've tried to, you know, kind of put into what we're trying to do with the under-16s. Um, so like, like you said, you know, we've, we've, we've really tried to push to the guys, you know, how, how much pride you should have wearing the Great Britain jersey. You know, this was the first ever Great Britain under 16 team. And we kind of really pushed to the guys that you're the first ones and you set the standard for the, for the next team that's coming in. Um, and like you said, exactly what you kind of try to find that motivation for them as well. You know, it might be, you know, their parents might be their brother and sister. It might be their teammates, back at their club, you know? So yeah, big believer in all that kind of, you know, the all blacks, all blacks culture, uh, stuff. Well, it's one thing to, to remember as well. It's at that level, it's probably the save of the moment because with anything, it could be gone an instance with an international career. Exactly. And you, and, and you know, it's, 
who's to say that these player, all these players will go on to play national team level under 18 level? I mean, not all of them will. You know, this might be their one time that they play for their national team at, at, um, at, at any kind of level. So, yeah, of course, you've got to save at the moment and, you know, kind of stay in the moment. And, you know, big thing for us as well at national team level is they've got to have good experience. Um, I really, really wanted to push to them that it wants to, I want them to have a positive experience playing for the national team. I think in the past, that hasn't always been the case and we've lost kids early on in their development and some players have never really kind of, you know, come back to national teams uh, at the more senior level. I mean, working with the under-20s, we've had players that we've kind of gone after and said, look, we want you to come into camp and, 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 and play for us at a Europeans or at least try out. And some of them have said, you know what, my experience at national team level hasn't been good. I don't want to come in. Uh, I'm not interested. Um, I'd rather just stay at my club and work out or, you know, if they're abroad or in America and Europe, they just want to stay there. So, I mean, I know that speaking with Alan and speaking with Andreas, it's something that's it's important to all of us that all the players have a positive experience with the national team. And Jenny, when you say a positive experience, what are some of these, well, obviously it's a case-by-case um, scenario of, of bad experiences, but when you say a positive experience, what do you actually mean? You know, it's, I, I want them, I mean, with, with me especially, the, my, the players and the coaches would, would admit I'm, I'm incredibly tough on, on, on the guys, you know, like I, ex, I expect huge things out of them. But I'm I'm deadly honest with them, you know. Like uh, I, I don't try and lie to them, you know. I'm not going to try and say to a player, you know, I, you're going to play 25 minutes a game when you know when I know that they're not going to, you know. I'm very honest with them what their role will be. I, I really want them to have a positive experience with their teammates. So you know, I want them to make I, I want them to make lasting relationships uh, with their teammates. I feel like that's something that this group. I hope we'll continue to do, you know, a lot of them uh, had never met before. It's the first time as a group, a lot of these players have been together. So hopefully, you know, you can start some long lasting kind of friendships going forward. I think it's the same thing, relationships with the players as well for us as coaches. Um, you know, I, 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 I want to continue to build relationships with these players going forward just because, you know, they now move up a lot of them into the under 18s doesn't mean that we can't continue to talk to them. You know, if I'm always here for any kind of advice, uh, just someone to talk to. And, you know, I, I feel like that's for me is, is, is a positive experience. If they can go away from, from the national team kind of having that at the end of it. I mean, I mean, people with, uh, will obviously think positive experience will, will sometimes mean, you know, that they, they played a lot or something that I mean that's not always the case not everyone can play and of course there'll be players on the team that we've just had at the Europeans who wanted to play more um, and they'll be disappointed that they didn't but that doesn't mean that they didn't have a positive experience and hopefully they will take that into the next stage of their like national team career. I think you bring up a good point there James in terms of like it's how you define obviously positivity they've obviously been the first um, team to represent it at that level. That is a positive in itself. And obviously uh, maybe 
well, I've never been to Bulgaria, so it's 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 a plus on that that perspective. It's it's probably it's from competing at national level, you get to probably go to places that you would never, yeah, maybe never dream of, uh, or maybe never even think of going to as well. So it kind of opens doors in in that in that in that retrospect. Exactly. And, and and a lot of the time, when we get them at under-16 level, this is the first time that they will... And, and one of the big things that we try to explain to them as well from being in this experience is to kind of take away, like, things off the court as well, you know? Like, how to... We do work with them on, like, S&C side, you know? Like, how they need to develop their body over the next year to two years how how their diet should be you know that's that's a big one for us especially sometimes these kids come in they have absolutely zero idea of of how to be a sportsman so for us i think a lot of it is teaching and and kind of developing that side of it as well to explain to them that um because a lot of them will never have had never had that at all um, I mean, they're, they're still obviously 14, 15, 16 years old. This will be the first time they've come into an environment where they're almost treated like a professional athlete. You know, they're, they're going to be at times training twice a day when they're with us. They're going to have to understand about recovery, you know, understanding uh, about sleep, how much sleep they should get. You know, some of them, you know, we, we talk to them about taking naps in the afternoon before games and uh, all these, all these things. These are the things that hopefully that they can take away from the national team experience, and then continue to do that when they have their season coming up with national league or whichever country, whichever country they're in. But James, would you not agree? It's a bit late implementing things like that at national level. Do you think maybe, and you can't probably generalise across every club, but say maybe the higher echelons of some of the clubs. I know that's the ones that are competing in, um, what's the name of it? The EABL. EABL, yeah. Implementing things like that anyway. And Yeah, 100% agree. And, and do you know what? A lot of the players already know it. You know, there's the, I'm not saying this is a generalisation that every single player that comes into our, into our squad doesn't know these things already because some of them are already at, um, they're already at academies. But some of the players are not at academies yet. That's the issue. Um, some of them will have not joined an academy yet and this will be their kind of their their last year before they go into an academy so some of them don't know um and i think that that's uh, a really good point is that we've got to do a better job as a federation into going into national league teams it doesn't just have to be i mean the academy system has grown so much over the last three four years that i mean it's arguably the best run league out of all the leagues in the country now um, I feel like we've got to do a better job of getting into national league teams uh, and talking to the coaches there, kind of making them understand, you know, the things that we're doing at national team level um, and, and getting them involved, you know, like a lot of these coaches, um, I, I think will probably, if you ask them, feel like there's a little bit of a disconnect between themselves and the national team. Um, I think us as coaches can do a better job of, you know, Speaking to the, the, the coaches, you know, the National League coaches that coach these players week in, week out, um, you know, going in and actually, you know, watching their sessions, explaining to them the things that we're trying to do at national team level, things that are important to us. 
um, if we want to be if we want to be successful as a national team. So um, yeah, it's all about education, coach education. You know, you know, it's also the essence, like you said, like the the other stuff. You know, the the S and C sides, the the nutrition sides. I'm pretty sure national league coaches they probably only get their players maybe twice a week, three times a week for a couple of hours. It's going to be hard for them to be able to teach them all this other stuff as well on top of the basketball. So I think if we can, as a federation, get into these clubs, you know, help them out with that side of things, you know, like I said about the mentorship stuff, I think it's important that the coaches also seem to seem to be mentoring other coaches. You know, the strength and conditioning coaches is the same. Hopefully they can mentor some of the the, the strength and conditioning coaches that are coming through. Um, and if I think if we get that kind of, you know, like we, we spoke about the synergy between the national teams at 16s, 18s and 20s, if we can get some synergy between the national league teams and the national league coaches into the national teams, I think that that can be a real positive for us. But James, you say there's that, they the, some of the coaches feel that there's a disconnect between, say, the national league and the um, national program. I disagree with that to some extent because obviously, as we touched upon with Twitter being probably a negative thing from expectations, it's probably from that perspective, be it not every coach is going to be on Twitter or social sure. media. Yep. The ones that are, is probably maybe probably using that influence what the kids will do anyway, is maybe using it as a resource and obviously like I've done with yourself to get the interview is touch base with that person and using it to an advantage. Of course. Um, I agree with you in that sense that, that, that Twitter and, you know, Facebook, all these things, you know, there's, there's a huge amount of resource out there for coaches if they want it. Um, but we've like, not every, like you say, not everyone's on Twitter. So like it's, it might be difficult for some people to be able to do that. Maybe some people don't feel comfortable being able to do that, you know, make direct, you know, directly message someone and say, uh, I need some help. Um, how do I do this? How do I do that? I think that we need to do a better job. Um, being directly. I th- I, I'm not sure if that's something that not, not only is, I mean, I, of course, if anyone direct messages me and says, can you help me with this? I'll do my best to try to be able to do that. But obviously we, as coaches, all have time constraints ourselves. We have our own teams. We had a huge amount going on during the season as well. I feel like as a federation, we can do a better job of maybe, you know, connecting it all together a little bit easier. You know, like yeah, coaching clinics. How many coaching clinics do we have in this country? Hardly any. Do we have a national team coaching clinic, you know, where all the national teams kind of coaches get together and, you know, all coaches can come in and ask questions. I feel like we should make it a mandatory thing. You know, in other countries, you have to attend a certain amount of clinics per year to be able to get your coaching badge. Um, I feel like things like this need to be done for us to grow, um, to, to grow coaches in this country. For me, it's, I'm very passionate about, growing the kind of the younger coaches because I mean that's where the game's going to get better if your coaching is really good at the very you know at the at the youth level when I get kids at 15 16 
if they've been taught the right way, fundamentals, you know, if, 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 they've, if these coaches have done a really good job with these players when I get them, then obviously it makes my job a lot easier. Um, I just feel like they're, they're, that we can do a better job with those kind of things going forward. And do you, th- do you think to some extent coaching clinics is shunned upon from maybe the, not say, to, so to speak, the younger coaches, but to say the ones that assume that they, I won't say they know it, they know it yeah. all, but they're more experienced. So it's well, like, well, I can't, I can't really learn anything from anybody else because I've done it myself. Well, then I don't know if they're in it for the right reason. And if, if that's, that's my personal view. Like, but as a coach, you can continuously learn throughout your entire career. I mean, I mean, it doesn't matter how old you are, you can learn something new every single day. If there's coaches there that think they're too good to go to a coaching clinic, then I don't think that's a, that's a valid response and maybe they're doing it for the wrong reason. I mean, uh, you, don't, you don't get that kind of approach from coaches abroad as much, you know? Like I said, there's, there's, there's places in Europe where you have to attend a certain amount of clinics to be able to, to get your coaching badge. Um, our coaching badge system doesn't work. Um, I put it that plainly, that honest. It hasn't changed in 15 years. We've had the same coaching system for 15 years. Uh, level one, two, and three, for me, if you're trying to be a, a, a serious coach, I don't think it's good enough. I think it needs to change. Um, hopefully that's something that can maybe change in, in, in the next couple of years. I just don't feel like it does a good enough job of developing coaches. Um, if I'm honest with you, I've done my level one, two, and three. Have I learned anything in those level ones, two, and three that have really helped me to develop as a coach? Probably not. Um, so that's where I think that the, the, maybe the system needs to change from 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 the top for us to you know to get better. Do you think, from that sense, James, and it focuses maybe too much on the theory aspect of the game as opposed to well, in a, in all reality. A game is not that struck to, to the letter of the the law. It's not that con- to those constraints. Yeah, I think so. I, I think it's and it's more of a you know they're maybe too easy as well. Like I, I remember when I I went to Canada for the year and um, I was showed their kind of shown their their coaching badge structure and. I mean, their level one course, which is their kind of basic, you know, first level course, was tougher than our level three. Um, so for me, it's, I think that the level one, two, and three are more of a kind of let's get as many coaches on the books as possible. I don't know if that's something that needs to be done. You know, we need to have, you know, more numbers, you know, instead of thinking about, you know what, let's, I mean, it, it, level ones, level one and two, a, a decent for, for for people who have never really you know they're more for me more of a PE teacher course they're more for like for, for people that have never really played basketball know a little bit about it here and there but they want to learn you know they want to be taught the, the, the very very basics um, and, and they serve a purpose for certain people I just feel like if you are a serious coach um now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have to do those courses as well, but there's got to be more development areas or, or, or there's got to be more areas for coaches to develop. Just having level one, two, and three isn't enough at all. 
there's got to be, I think there's got to be a, a restructure in the way that we develop coaches because at the moment, um, I, I don't think it's good enough. But what bottoms would you add, add to it, James, though, to make it? Because like you said, that in Canada, their level one is harder than level three. Then, then, then that's the way it's kind of got to be, you know. I mean, for, for, for us to be able to, to develop and get better coaches, you've got to maybe make it harder to find out which coaches really want to be coaches, you know. Like, um, I mean, you, I, I don't like to kind of compare us to other nations, but you look at the Spanish course as well. I mean, the, the Spanish course is, is, is very in-depth, very – it's not easy – um, you know, it, it takes a lot of hard work to be able to go through the different badges to, to go to, I mean, you've got to go to a certain amount of clinics per year. You've got, a, um, and all of this is done obviously at your own expense. The Federation isn't paying for you to do this, but then if we make it harder, maybe then we find out which of the coaches that really want to be coaches. You know, I mean, uh, a lot of the coaches these days obviously are not paid you know they do it out of the love of the love for basketball the the first seven eight years that I coached I barely made any money I was driving you know I'd work nine to five and then I'd travel two hours to go to practice I'd practice for an hour and a half travel back get back at two in the morning wake up and do it three times a week um I find like if we, we've got to kind of we've got to make these coaching badges more more difficult but also be, they've got to be better for the coaches we've got to be able to develop the coaches um i mean i i i, I go watch quite a few youth games you know I, I try and see what's going on especially in london i try and watch some you know the under 16s under 14 games and and some of these games they they terrify me if i'm honest with you you know we've got we've got coaches teaching 14 year olds 20 different sets um, they're, they're, I, I've watched uh, an under 14 game where a player missed a layup the coach subbed him off and made him do 10 push-ups in front of his teammates you know I, I don't think that these coaches are bad like they're, they're bad people or bad coaches I just don't think they've been taught you know how to coach you know have they been told by the federation that under 14 level it's not about winning it's about developing players I don't know. You'd have to ask those guys themselves. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a big, it's a big area that I'm kind of passionate about. I think there's, there needs to be lots of changes. Um, I've been pretty outspoken about it <laughs> over the last couple of years. Um, I think there is changes being made. Um, and hopefully those changes, uh, will kind of, you know, some of the things I'm talking about, hopefully they, they will be put in, you know, over the, over the next couple of years. I think you raised two good points there, James, in terms of uh, obviously looking at it from an under-14 perspective. I think when you say they're doing 20 sets, I think at that age, maybe that's too much in terms of uh, you're going to get confused in terms of what you're actually trying to do. And like you say, it's all about development. And probably at that age, it's probably too overwhelming. And, and probably at times that could probably make somebody give up on the sport. It's like, oh, this is this is too difficult because the coaches expect me to learn all this. Yeah, but it's it's, it's the whole thing as well. You, you know, like I, I'm on the FECC at the moment, uh, the FIBA Europe Coaching Certificate, 
and we speak to we're very we're, I've made some great like contacts and that and we I speak to other coaches from Europe and when we tell them the stories you know about how some of our kids at under 14 level are doing this this and this um that they're kind of almost shocked because the, the, their federation or, or, or themselves as coaches is purely about development at that age, you know, under 14. Of course, you want to teach them about the importance of winning and losing. We don't want to take that away, but um, it's, it's very important at that level. You have, you have very good coaches that are, they're confident in their ability as a coach to be able to say, do you know what? We're not going to run sets. We're going to, you know, we're going to develop the players. They're going to run like a motion-based offense where it's about, you know, reading the defense. Um, there's going to be, you know, no, no ball screens, no off ball screens. We're just going to play. But it takes confident coaches to be able to do that, you know. And I've, one, thing I, one thing I took away from when I first started coaching, I went and spent some time at Gran Canaria. With the, we were with the England under-18 girls team. And the, the Gran Canaria women's coach, who at the time was the women's um, Spanish national team coach, he said something to me that kind of stuck with me ever since he said it, was that in, in his club and in a lot of the clubs in Spain, their best coaches coach their under 10s, under 12s, under 14s. Because he said that's the most important age for them. Um, because that's the age when they get to do, you know, the development side of things, you know, teach them the fundamentals, um, but they, they always put, he had a big, he was very passionate about putting their best coaches in with the, the, the very, very young kids. And then when you get to the older age groups, you know, by that point, you know, they've already been taught the fundamentals. They know the style of play. They know the way they should play. And then obviously when it's under 18 seniors, it becomes a lot easier. Um, so yeah, I think that's something that we, we could do a better job of in, in, in England for sure. But we, you could probably go one step further than that in terms of, like you say, they focus on development, and, and thus I think it probably enables a player to be able to see what's in front of them and adapt. I think, but by implementing the system that we use, I think you're instilling probably a robotic style of play as they get older and they can't probably adapt to, to situations they maybe have not seen before. Yeah, I, yeah, hundred percent agree. I mean. I feel like at, you know, under 14 level, even you could get to a point to under 16s, uh, but th- there should be kind of, I feel like, strict rules of the way that they, teams can play, almost. You know, like, we, we talk about, like, England having a style of play. Do we know what, or GB is a style of play? Um, maybe we need to do a better job of, you know, implementing at under 14 level, this is the way that we're kind of... Th- this is the way you can play. This is the way you're going to play. Everyone's going to play man-to-man defense. There's no zone. You know, we're going to play like a motion-based offense. You know, no pick and roll at that age. Uh, we're going to play full-court defense. You know, I, I don't know what it is, but um, I, I, I feel like that when we, like you said, we, we get kids at, at certain age groups, 16, 18s, and, and they have a robotic way of playing. They, their decision making is not great because they've never really had to make decisions when they played at their age group. Maybe their coach, uh, uh, their national league team has, you know, a set where they catch the ball on the wing and every single time they get it, they just attack and score. I don't know what it is, but um, 
yeah, I, I completely agree. I feel like we, we've got to do a better job of developing the younger kids. Um, from, for, and I think that comes back to, for, for me, a lot of time it comes back to the coaches that coach at that age group. But James, wouldn't it not be difficult to instill a certain philosophy of playing more so from the offensive perspective now? Because you're going you're gonna to have to implement a certain style of player to suit yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm not a big, I'm not a big believer in saying that we have to play a certain way. You know, I don't, I don't feel like that's the, the, the way that we should go. Um, but also, it's you know, if, if we're if we're getting the coaches together and we're saying to them, you know, it's maybe not necessarily a style of play, but like this is the kind of things that we're teaching at national team level. You know, like it might not be, it might not be anything too structured and detailed but it might be you know some things that are important to us you know like on ball defense you know something that we concentrate on we're we're pretty good at a national team level on ball defense we're athletic we're quick a lot of the time so these are the things that as a national team we coach now hopefully the coaches might be able to develop that in their own clubs you know the same way offensively maybe similar things you know we're you know style of like we're, we're pretty decent off the off the dribble you know we need to improve like at the younger age groups I feel like two areas that we're not very good at passing footwork we need to get better at these two things decision making these are the drills that we use at national team level with our clubs or uh, when the kids come in these are the things that we look to do with them maybe you and, and then showing the, the coaches the things that we do and then hopefully they can use that I mean put their own spin on it and then hopefully they can use that to develop the players at their own clubs. Would you think that as a federation, then uh, they need to maybe look to create a resource, obviously from a social media perspective, say website based now, yeah. Yeah. look to not film obviously the entire na- national programs session because that's quite dangerous if it got leaked in certain sets. Yeah. Circumstances. But look to, to look at those type of drills. Yep. And obviously that, that the coaches don't have that resources. You've got to maybe say a login password and password you get as a national league coach and you're able to look at that resource as and when you need to. Yeah, something like that would be good. I still think that, I mean, I, I always open my, um, I open up all my national team practices for coaches to come and watch. Um and they can come and watch any of them, you know, like as long as they tell me beforehand that they're coming, um, they're, they're more than welcome to come to any, any session. What worries me is I've opened it up and not many coaches come. Now, obviously, it might be late notice that I do that. But, you know, like that was, that was a big area where I learned was going to watch other coaches practice. Um, I think that I don't know if we make that a national, you know, like a, if you're, if you're going to be a national league coach and you want to get your, say your level two, that you have to attend two national team practices that year. I don't know. Maybe that's something we could do as well. I mean, I think that going to watch other coaches practices is, is a, is a big resource. Um, I think that's something that maybe the national, the federation again could maybe make that a, a prerequisite if you're if you're trying to get your next badge or um, whatever it might be. Well, I think it's from a from a, what was it a development standpoint as a coach. I think it's a good one because 
you can see things develop because the players are that much better, so to speak, than well, probably in, in all license they probably are. You, they're going to execute um, drills, plays that much better, and you can see it at full speed. Yeah. And see if it does, if it does break down, you're going to obviously stop it and say, "Well," and probably maybe question the players. Why did you do this? I suppose yeah. Doing that. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's something. Yeah, I mean, we 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 had a, a camp in Manchester, and we had we actually had some coaches travel all the way from Plymouth um, to watch our national. They they spent a weekend with us, and um, you know, like got a hotel, did it upon themselves. You know, came to every single training session, um, like things like that. I think are real positive. You know, and 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 speaking to those coaches afterwards, I said to them, hopefully you've taken something away, and they all were really positive about it, and. That they were the same as kind of what I said. They, they've they've said, you know, we want more. We, we feel like more coaches should do this. It would be beneficial for more coaches to be able to come come and watch practices, national team practice. And on to like the next part of the segment, James. Mark Stewart. I spoke to Mark Stewart. We've got we've been a while back now, but yeah. he was saying you were uh, you and Barking Abbey are very good at obviously developing your players and kind of opening their eyes from, say, uh, their next level of development, so, say, be it high school in the U.S. and yeah. obviously the collegiate level. What, why do you think Barking Abbey are probably the, I'd say, the leading figures at doing that in the U.K.? Um, uh, I think that, that, first of all, we have a, we have a really good staff there. Um, Lloyd Gardner and Mark, uh, Mark Clark, who's just been made GB performance director, um, are two very, very good coaches, very good people. They, um, the, the big thing that when I first came there, one of the things that I really kind of, the, the first thing that I saw was that they were very much into development over winning, which was a really big thing for them. It was about developing the players. It wasn't necessarily about winning games, um, which for me was was quite difficult for me to actually kind of get my head around that because I had just come from Denmark and I was in a, at the pro at the pro level, and at that kind of level, it's all about winning. It doesn't matter about the development of players because you've got to win games, and if you don't win games, you get fired. So for me to see that the kind of it was a full 180 and see you know that this this club was all about you know young players and developing them to make them better and putting them in situations that were difficult for them. So at Barking, a lot of the times we throw kids in at a level that maybe is you know some people might say well that's a bit too high of a level for them, but for their development it's best for them. Now we might lose games because of that you know like we might we might put some kids that are you know 15 16 years old and play them at division one men's ebl1 now that might be that that's tough for them you know and they might struggle at that level um but for their development it's the best for them you know and and i think that that's something that I think we do a pretty good job of is, is, you know, pushing the kids and, and, and putting them in situations that are difficult. And I think that we, 
that the that we kind of reap the rewards of that later on because a lot of times when they play maybe they play men's level and they're 15 16 when they then play against their own age group or they go back to a national their national team at that age group it's a lot easier for them um so i feel like that's kind of something that we do a pretty good job of is you know you know maybe not taking the easy route and and and, and playing them you know in an age group where they're going to be really successful and, you know, be the best player on the team, we put them in a difficult situation where it's going to be tough for them. And I think that, I think we've, we do a pretty good job of that. But would you not say that, say the ones that are kind of shunning that approach are being a little bit short sighted and maybe looking at the here and now, I know we did touch upon this as a positive at national level at the beginning, but maybe at club level, it's probably not always the right way about of doing things. As yeah. opposed to looking at the what's best for the athlete and their long term development. And that's the, the the big thing is having that you know that we've got to think long term instead of short term. Um, a lot of the other the national teams in Europe, they they you know they're thinking long term. I mean, I I was in Slovakia watching the under eighteen division A. Uh, European Championships and speaking to some of the coaches there and watching the games, there is a couple of the teams were just, I mean, incredible basketball. And speaking to the coaches that coach these teams or around these teams, all of those players play men's, you know, like they're 16, 17 years old and they're playing semi-professional men's basketball. Um, And that's even speaking to when I was, when we were just at our under 16 tournament, you know, you, you, you look at the, the Greek team that we lost to in the semifinals um, and you speak to their coaching staff, most of those players play men's basketball, you know? And, and I think that that's something that when we played against them, you really saw that, you know? They're physically just, they're, they're so much more developed than we are um, that because they, and I think that's a lot to do, they, they play men's basketball, you know? That, that, and that's, and that's the same thing. It's, 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 they've got a long-term view of, do you know what? It's going to be tough for them. And some of those players don't play huge minutes for these men's teams. You know, they're, they're not the best player on their team. But if they played under 16 level at, in their own respective country, they're just going to dominate. It's going to be way too easy for them. So, like, yeah, like you said, we've got to have a better, we've got to have more of a long-term development view than just a short-term one. And obviously, you mentioned the Greeks. Was it predominantly the forwards or across the board? Oh, it was across the board. You, I mean, they were just a physically dominating team. I mean, they, they looked like a men's team. They really did. I mean, we we prepped for them, and we thought of you know schemes of uh, schemed ways that we thought that we could you know attack them, and you know, but ultimately, I mean, there, there was a point in the game where their point guard. Is is switched out onto our big man, and he's posting up our big man, and that's their mm. point guard, and um, and that kind of you know that, that, that physically just a big big dominating team, um, and 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 you know like I I mean Greece is a is a huge basketball nation anyway, and and you know they they weren't a Division B team, they were definitely a Division A team, um. But, you know, you speak to their coaches and, and, and they've got a big, you know, a long-term development plan, you know. They, they, they're not thinking about what's, you know, like winning under-18 leagues for the, for, with, their, with those players. They're thinking about, you know, those players 
playing men's. I mean, one of the players that was the MVP of the tournament, I think he's already played like very high level pro men's and playing significant minutes. Um, and that kind of kind of shows you where they are, you know, compared to us. So do you do you think from a development standpoint and probably a league system, do you think the federation needs to look at it and maybe give the whole thing a shake up? Definitely. Hundred percent. I mean, you, you might have to look at it on a case by case basis. I don't know if you look at it, you know, player by player and, and, and someone takes a lead and says, you know what, this player, you know, if if we start to see that there's you know, some players that shouldn't be playing, you know, there's a player that's, you know, scoring 40 points a game at under 16 level. Is that helping his development? 100% not. Then someone needs to, I don't know if it's someone from the Federation, it's the national team, wherever, says, right, you need to now play him at a different level. Like he needs to play, you know, two age groups up, an age group up, or he needs to start playing, you know, low level men's basketball. Um, but there needs to, I think there needs to be a shake-up in, in, in that. Um, or, or, or does it come down to, again, is it coach education? Is it telling these coaches, you know, like this kid, for his development, you should be pushing him to play under-18s or play men's? I, I, I don't know. But there, need, there definitely needs to be some sort of shake-up. And there's one I did raise with the when I got the guys on from Under Pressure uh, podcast. We discussed, obviously, the... Uh, you know, as in focusing primarily on um, one person being playing, let's say one per, uh, ah, I can't speak, playing one position when they're younger, obviously because of their, they're more athletic, they have, have a massive stunt, uh, not stunting growth, have a, a, a growth spurt yeah. at a younger age. Obviously from a development standpoint, that's not good for them in the long run because they may that might they might max out at their height. Um, yeah. Obviously, if they're a bit bigger, stockier person, yeah, they're not able to. Uh, maybe if a coach solely puts them, say, as power forward or a centre position, and yeah. then they don't grow, yeah, they, it's obviously the coach is looking at here and now. Okay, from a winning perspective, you're going to do that, but obviously from that person's overall development, yeah you're thus probably cutting them off at the knees because they've got nowhere to go. Say all that, say the other guys grow and they were guards per se. And now they've got that skill set of a guard and they're and, and probably at an older age, that player is now better than you and they've got more, a more, more developed skill set. Yeah. A hundred percent. And that's, uh, you know, like at those, un- those, those younger age groups, it's about playing, you know, like I said, you know, under 14 level, we shouldn't be, there shouldn't be coaches running multiple sets. You know, it should be a motion based offense, wherever it's, you know, a five out offense where there is no, you know, traditional back to the basket big, whether you play four, four out one in and, you know, that one player in is interchangeable between every single player, but, you know that, like you said, that's exactly the way it should be. And you know those those tall players, you know those kids that are you know big for their age should be being taught everything that the smaller players are being taught. You know, guard fundamentals and vice versa. The the smaller players should be learning all facets of the game. Um, 
but once again, it's, you know, it's, it, it, it's it, I think it comes back to a lot of the time, it's coach education, you know, like, are they being taught that at a very young level, under 14 practices? Uh, are, they, are they being taught the fundamentals? Are they being taught, you know, how to run a, you know, a basic five-out motion offense, four-out, one-in? Or is the coach rolling the balls out and saying, right, we're just going to scrimmage, play five on five. Here's the sets we're going to run. You know, I, I don't know. But um, I, I feel like that all of those kind of questions that you're asking definitely come back to the coach education and the coaches being told that that's what they've got to do. I mean, I don't know. But Jamie, would you not agree that say back to the basket basketball to some extent is a dying art with obviously yeah, I, I, focusing primarily on the, on the three point shot? Yeah. I mean, yeah, the, the, you, you have, we have these talks about it all the time as coaches we talk about, you know, but trends come and go in basketball, you know, like, at the moment, the trend is, you know, you play small ball, you know, you don't have a traditional center that's back to the basket. You know, the other, the other trend at the moment is, you know, everyone runs pick and roll, everyone, you know, it's, that's, that's, that, that's the way that basketball has gone over the last, you know, four or five years, but trends come and go, you know, um, at the moment, that's the way that kind of the, the, the NBA is playing, you know, that's, but are we, we're not the NBA as well. That's the other thing is, um, you, you know, that the, the, I still think that there is, there is room for back to the basket basketball. You know, the, the, if that's, you know, if you have a, a player that can do that, then why not utilize it? It's for, for me, it's, you know, we, we get, I think we get a little bit too tied down with, you know, this is the style of play for the moment for the whole of the world. We must conform and play to this way. Um, but I, I, I still feel like, you know, the way that the game has gone, you know, with the, the, the kind of small ball and, you know, um, you know, not having maybe your traditional centre. Also, you can see it as a positive, though, because you watch some of these guys now that, you know, seven foot three, seven foot four, like Porzingis, for example, you know, seven foot three and he plays like a guard. He can do everything just because... Um, you know, players see that now he can shoot the three-point shot, he can attack off the dribble. He can still play back to the basket as well, you know, and I think that that's a positive as well. You look at it that side that, you know, now you can't just be like maybe a player that, you know, is just back to the basket. Maybe you have to be, you have to have a post game, but you also have to be able to handle the ball. You have to be able to shoot the ball pretty well, you know. You have to be able to, be uh, a pretty decent ball handler. You can't just be, you know, like you said, just a back to the basket guy. So, you mean, you know, the way the way the game's gone is, you know, everyone is so good now at everything um, that, you know, I, I feel like that can be a positive too, you know, that, you know, players see like players like Porzingis and, you know, Dirk Nowitzki, all these kind of guys that are not maybe your traditional back to the basket guys, but they can do everything. You know, and hopefully that's like an inspiration to players that even if they are, you know, the tallest player on their team, you know, they still want to be able to be, you know, they want to get better at ball handling. They want to be a better shooter, you know, um, they want to get better at their footwork. They want to be a better passer. Um, so you can see it in a, you know, in a positive way as well. I think if we kind of go back to say it from your in- implementing a system, I think it's very much utilising the skill set that you've got available with the players you have and it, and then thus implementing a system that works yeah. with best for you as a team. Definitely. 
definitely, hundred percent. And uh, and that's where you know you, you you can you can talk about style of play at national team level, but ultimately, you know, year on year out, it's going to be it's going to be different, isn't it? You know, like you're not always going to have the same 12 players that are going to play the same way, you know? So it's, and that's part of coaching, you know, finding, you know, looking at the team and thinking, right, how can we be successful? What kind of system is going to suit this team? Um, and so on. And I think with, with speaking to Mark as, as well on the previous episode, I think with retrospect to Barking Abbey, I think from uh, probably a long-term athlete development plan, I think Barkingham does a good example of that because you kind of open the eyes of the player, obviously saying, well, okay, you've got this route to go further in your career in the US and obviously you guys go and play over there and they can kind of see what the level is at, at that level and they can kind of judge, well, I need to maybe work on something. Yeah. Well, this level is maybe, well, I would, I would never be, negative judgments judging something but maybe they think that okay I, I maybe not quite up to level that maybe I should look at going to further education in the UK yeah, yeah. And, and that that can be a real eye-opener for them as well is you know when you go over there and you see kind of you know the level that the guys will be going up against some of them it's they, they look at it and they're like, Yep, this is you know, this is gonna be really tough if I wanna to get to this level. But also some of them will look at it and think, like you said, maybe it's best to stay in further further education in the UK, or some of them maybe even think, you know, maybe style of play wise, maybe I'm better suited to staying in Europe, you know, and, and looking at that route. I think that sometimes players think that, you know, America can kind of be the be all and end all of, of basketball. Um, and, and sometimes that doesn't always suit every single player. You know, it's not necessarily, that's not always the best route for every single player to take. But would you, would you say that is because of culture, be it that they've never been away from home for long periods of time? Yeah, I think it can, it, it can be that as well. It's also, you know, educating the player as well, you know, um, you know, we, we obviously at Barking try and send players to to America as as much as possible uh, because one of the other things which is a real huge kind of pull for, for the American college system is they get their education paid for. You know, it's four years of not only amazing, you know, amazing facilities, um, really good coaching, you know, the culture side of it, like you said, amazing experience and all of their education paid for. I mean, why wouldn't you want to be kind of going over there? We, we can't, you know, as a, as a nation, we can't offer that. I mean, there isn't, there isn't any countries in the world that can really offer that except for America. They're quite unique in being able to offer that experience, but it, it's not for everyone. You know, it can't, it, it can't be for everyone. But I think one one of the episodes I had on, they raised a good argument in terms of that, uh, coming from the American system, uh, in terms of if you are, say, this is maybe using the American example, good enough to, say, skip the level and go to the NBA. Yeah. Obviously, if you get hurt in that essence, you've got a guaranteed contract. Whereas yeah. if you got hurt in college, you're done. And obviously, you, you're not, you, you've gone to university on a sports scholarship, not an academic scholarship. So obviously from an, um, 
even an academic point now you you've you've kind of got nothing so i, I can kind of see that argument mm-hmm. however maybe from a european perspective the contracts are not no nowhere near anything on the on the lines of what an nba team would offer somebody come come straight in but kind of maybe looking at maybe that as another avenue to go down maybe playing professionals professionally even in this country and that's i think i think that that's a really good point is that hopefully long term we can offer players a route to be able to play professionally over here you know i feel like I don't think we, we, we don't really offer that. I don't, I, I don't think we do. I mean, you I mean BBL teams might be able to kind of, you know, educate me on that a little bit better. I mean, from an outsider looking in, I don't think we kind of offer that really, you know, we don't offer, you know, we have kids that are, you know, 16, 17, 18 years old, that are all going off to America. Is there an offer for them to, you know, sign a pro contract in England that's worth, you know, that's worthwhile, you know, like that will be, you know, like a, a like a like a full time job, you know, like, or and do they link that, you know, maybe with education, you know, can they do a? I mean, I think the only the only one I can think to that comes to mind, you know, is that is Leicester Riders kind of do something, you, you know, you know, they have the link with Loughborough, and you know, maybe that's, you know maybe they, they do something similar to that. I, I wouldn't know. I mean, you, you, you would have to ask them, but I feel like if we can get the, you know, the pro, the pro setup incredibly professional, you know, with all the teams, you know, incredibly professional, maybe that's something that we can look to do, you know, give the players another option where, you know, America isn't always the be all and end all. It's, you know, maybe they have the option to stay in this country and, and sign a pro contract here. But do you think it was maybe a catch-22? Because obviously you have worked at the professional level mm-hmm. and obviously there it is very much about winning and losing. However, the argument you could say with the BBL, there is no rele- relegation. So it's not as say as constrained as say some of the other European leagues. Say if you lose, if you are, like you say, your head is on the chopping block in terms of you're going to get fired if you lose and worst case scenario you're going to get the team relegated whereas that is not the case in in England yeah it's not the case but it also takes you know it might take a brave team or a brave owner or a brave coach to turn around and say you know what um for the betterment of our national team <laughs> at senior level you know we're going to play some of the guys that maybe you know are 17 18 years old and we're going to throw them in at the deep end you know um and like you said there's no there isn't any relegation in the BBL. Um, so, you know, maybe it takes a brave coach or a brave owner to say, you know what, the route we're going to go is we're going we're gonna to develop young English players, British players, and we're going to put, you know, we're not, we're not saying that not to be competitive, but, you know, you put them around some, some good pros and you say, you know what, for the betterment of our national team, this is what we're going to do. You know, you know, a, a, like an example of it is, is what Tony Garbaletto is doing at Glasgow Rocks. You know, their whole team is the Scottish national team. You know, and they're playing their whole Scottish national team as Glasgow Rocks, and they're hoping that that will be beneficial for their Scottish national men's team, which obviously will play in the Commonwealth Games. But what is it? A dip, do you think it comes down to? It could be a number of examples to be why they won't, they don't go down that route. But do you think 
they have that feeling that maybe that player is uh, be it raw, not quite ready, um, as opposed to bringing in somebody for say an, 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 an export from the US or Europe or anywhere to that matter. Yeah, I, 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 um, I, I can see that and understand it, but I think that you, you're gonna. We, we would have a better pro league if you had better British pros in that league. So you know, like, like a good example. Justin Robinson has just come back. He's going to play for London Lions next year. He's a GB senior men's team. The more of the kind of those kind of guys you get into the system or get into our pro kind of setup over here, I feel like that's going to be beneficial for maybe the younger players coming through as well. You know, we, we start using the, you know, the, we were talking about looking up to the senior men's players. If those senior men's players are, you know, in our British pro league, surely that should be beneficial for, for, for our national team and for the, the younger generation coming through. Um, I still think it's a, you know, it, I don't know if it will happen. Some players, some coaches do do it. You know, they play some of the younger, younger players or younger players will sit on the bench. But I don't think that, you know, I, I feel like there is some talent in this country that could definitely play BBL. Um, it's just a matter of, is there going to be a coach or an organisation that's going to give the opportunity to the players? Maybe, I mean, and, and like I said, like you said, I've been in the pro setup before and I know that there comes a lot of added pressure with the pro setup, you know, there's more pressure to win. You know, you might have a general manager or owner of the club that isn't worried about the development of the national team. What they worry about is, you know, winning games and winning championships, which is understandable. You know, it's a, it's a different, it's a different uh, set of pressure at, at that level. But, um, I mean, I think there's someone was telling me an example. I think it was the French, it might be the French under 20s or the French under 18s play in their whole team play in a pro league. You know, they put all of those players together, put them in a pro league. I think they lost nearly every single one of their games in the pro league, but then they ended up winning the European championships at their own age group. You know, things like that, that for me, that's forward thinking, you know, that's like thinking about development. It's not thinking about, it's not thinking about the winning, you know, they're thinking about, well, how are we going to develop these players for the national team? How are we going to develop them to become senior men's players? That's forward thinking for me. I, I think I think, yeah. James, you could probably see a crossover with that, with, say, the wheelchair game in this country. Yeah. The women's team play in our Division One together uh, all year round, and that's obviously, and then train. Yeah. So at the betterment for looking at long-term development for the Paralympics. Or do, do you think maybe the, the um, federation on the able-bodied side should maybe look at that as, well, not yeah. really forward thinking because it's been. I think that system now has been in there for, for donkey for a couple of years now. But to look at that as maybe a model to see because yeah. they're their most successful Paralympics in Rio to date. Definitely. I mean, uh, France. France has a their, their academy inset is um, it does a kind of similar thing. You know, like they have. Their best players from France attend INSEP, 
which is their like national academy. And all of those players play together all year long, you know, and um, they have like regional institutes, you know, so like the players that maybe not quite good enough for inset, you know, they're at these other regional places where, you know, the coaches that coach at these regional institutes are governed by the federation, you know, so they're all working together, you know. Um, I think that that's a model that, you know, has worked for, for France. Um, there's other national teams that do similar things as well, other national federations. Um, I feel I, I like that kind of model myself. Is it something that we could put into our country? I'm not really sure. I think it takes, you know, takes a huge amount of buy-in from, from everyone, from every coach. Also takes, you know, probably quite a bit of funding um, to be able to do something like having one national, uh, you know, like boarding school, which is just purely for basketball. Um, and they do that through all the age groups. I don't know if we could do something like that. I like that model, but I'm not sure if that's something that we could possibly do over here. But do you, would you not agree that it goes one step deeper than that in terms of, say, Wales, Scotland, England, Northern Ireland, they all want their piece of their pie. And it's well, kind of, at times, the button heads with the British Basketball Federation. Well, this is the thing that, We've, we've got to all now come together and work together. This is where GB basketball now, you know, um, like that we've got to find a way to be able to work together and all kind of sing off the same hymn sheet. I, I don't really understand why, you know, we, we're still having, you know, like, you know, it should just be GB basketball now. That's it. You know, we shouldn't have to, to, to be, you know, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, and England, it should just be one federation now. That's it. And then, of course, everyone wants to have their own say and their own, you know, like you said, almost kind of piece of the pie. But, you know, this is the whole reason that we came together, you know, was to, to have some synergy, to work together um, and have a long-term development plan for, for how we're going to proceed going forward. Um, hopefully you know, it's still in its infancy, you know, we're only just, we're only just really started that, but hopefully, you know, hopefully this is going to be a positive and, you know, hopefully that we can all work together. But I think you raise a good point in terms of everybody wants to have their say. However, you can't always please everybody. And I think saying it from a job perspective and probably look at it from the sporting element and say, look at it from, kind of the how you would select a player, you're going to pick the best, well, not always the best player, but the best fit for the role. So yeah. maybe, I don't know, for say the board looking at, you're not going to please everybody being having, having a representative from every country, but having maybe, I don't know, say the best people for the job, but say maybe in a assisting kind of role, yeah. have maybe somebody from, every other like the underlying the home nations representative so they can probably better themselves and, and probably get a, an expertise and learn from somebody who's had those experiences. Of course. And that's, you know, that's the, the, the whole, you know, forward planning thing. And, you know, like, I think that's the way it should be, you know, like if you have a national team, um, just using mine, the under 16s as an example, and, you know, maybe I, I pick my staff and, you know, 
maybe there isn't a representative from one of those home nations, then if the home nation wants to send, you know, a coach along to, to you know, observe and learn, then 100% that should, that should be just done without even, you know, having to have a discussion about it, you know. That should be all of us working together to try and, to, to, to try and be better. Um, you know, I think that that's, you know, like we're, we're trying to do that with our 16s at the moment, you know, like we might have only finished two weeks ago, but, you know, me and I mean, I've got a pretty good representation on my staff with, you know, I've got Craig Nickel, who's a Scottish coach. I have Yian Jones, uh, who's my video PA and assistant coach. He's from, he's from Wales. So, you know, we all, as a group, we, we try to, kind of get this to work together you know like Craig's talking about already that his he's already going into doing you know Scotland under 16s already you know like he's going into but for me it's like you know why are we not doing this as a group already you know like we've got to you know we've got to have this you know everyone's got to be trying to work together you know I, I feel like at the moment I'm not sure we're doing a great job of that you know I think we can we can we can do a better job of that over this next coming year. Do you, do you think it's a, to a certain extent now that maybe the home nations are maybe fixated on short term thinking of looking at Commonwealth games and saying, this is to some extent, this is our glass ceiling for our players. And oh, let's not worry about GB because obviously at the moment that door is shut with the Olympics in mind. Yeah. I, I can understand. I mean, Commonwealth Games is, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to say that that's not important. Of course, you know, like it's it's one of those opportunities for a player, you know, like maybe you know, like a a player that you know maybe is not going to make a GB squad, but you know, has got a good chance of making a Commonwealth Games team, and it's a, it is a once in a lifetime kind of opportunity to play at a Commonwealth Games, but. Um, like you said, you know, like you, you still got to have forward planning, you know, like it would worry me that if all of, you know, a country's resources were going into a Commonwealth Games and there was no forward planning, you know, looking down, looking towards, you know, like, a, you know, the qualifications for an Olympics or a World Cup or European Championships, whatever it might be, you know, Um I, I, the, the thing that worries me more is, you know, are you putting all all the money into men's and women's basketball and leaving out the the the, the younger age groups? You know, like for me, that's the that's where the, the the funding should go towards. You know, it should be the the putting the putting the money towards the the, the youth. You know, the the younger age groups putting money into youth basketball more than the you know the senior and senior and uh, uh, and senior women's basketball. I feel, I feel like you know, like we've we've just done a, a preparation for our under 16s, which you know, if I'm honest with you, it wasn't ideal. You know, we 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 could have we could have had a better preparation if we'd have had you know more funding. You know, we, I mean, we've got coaches and players sleeping on gym floors. You know, for weekends because we don't have enough money to, you know, book a facility where we can go and stay in a hotel. We don't have that money. So, you know, coaches and players are sleeping on gym floors for weekends. Um, and I still think that, you know, this summer we've done a pretty good job as a national teams of, you know, 
you know, performing pretty well. But, you know, if, our, if maybe more money was put or more funding was put into those junior programs instead of the senior programs, maybe, you know, we could have been even more successful. Do you think in that essence the the powers that be have the uh, pyramid the wrong way around then in terms of funding? Yeah, I think so. I think you, you'd have to ask them though, you know, like I, I you know, I, I don't, I'm not involved in any of that side of it. I'm not involved in that enough to know where the money goes, you know, like all I'm told is this is how much you're going to get. You know, this is the maximum amount of contact time you'll have with your players. These are the warm up games you're going to play and that's it. You know, like, um, you know, the, I, I don't know where the, the, the you know, I, I, I'm not, privileged enough to be able to know the information of, you know, right, this is the amount of money that the national teams have as a whole, and this is how it's divided, you know? This much goes towards the senior men's, this much goes towards the junior programs. Um, but from someone who's involved in the junior national teams and from, you know, from an outsider looking in, I think that this season or this year, the pyramid was definitely upside down. But in terms of maybe changing that, and that's probably, if you look at it from uh, any kind of development, it's probably, well, you could probably say in British sport across the whole, you've always got it wrong because you say, oh, this money should, look at football as the example, why should, I think, and I, I don't know how much football got, the FA, you're thinking, they don't need money, they don't need funding. From don't sport. need any money. <laughs> No, like, and that's the thing. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, like you said, we've got it. We've got it the wrong way around in this country for a number of years now. You know, um, football doesn't need any money. You know, they don't need any. They don't need any any funding. They they've got all the funding that they need. They've got the revenue stream that they need. Um, but that that's you know you could you could argue that about a lot of British team sports. You know. Um, you, the, the the funding is you know not being great towards you know, team sports, we're very much, you know, we're very much geared towards, you know, medals at Olympics, at Commonwealths, whatever it might be. And a lot of those are, are sports that aren't team sports. But then you could argue on the flip side of that, it's, it's I'm, and I'm not knocking your answer here, that it's, it, it has proven to work. I'm, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I, I, I'm not saying it's, it, you could see it, from both sides of the argument, it probably helps when I'm retired. Yeah. You can. I, I, I've had this argument with, you know, coaches before and, you know, like we, we can argue and say, I mean, the, the thing is because when you're involved in that sport, you know, like, and obviously basketball being my, my full-time job and my, my biggest passion, you obviously see the, you obviously see that the issues that come with not having the funding that you think you deserve. But then you also see it, I also see it on the flip side, you know, I've watched the Olympics and, you know, when we're performing at such a high level, and I mean, you know, the amount of Olympic medals we've won at the last two Olympics, you know, that's, that's huge, you know, like, I mean, sometimes you, you, you have to be, you, you, you kind of have to take a, you know, a stance of right, this is the way that we're going to go. We're going to put the money towards these sports. We're successful in these sports. We win medals in these sports. So you can't really, you know, in that sense, you can't really argue with them. Um, it's just frustrating, you know, when, you, like you said, you know, like we're, t- we're talking about football, you know, why are they getting any funding? <laughs> you know, 
you know, like they don't need it, you know, like, and, and sometimes some of these sports get money that I think that, you know, we could, we could do, we could have half of the money that they're being given and it would change our sport a huge amount. But James, could you not argue from a different, I mean, kind of go like a different way with this, that maybe, well, I know UK sport wouldn't do it, but maybe saying what sport can do for an individual's like lifestyle, um, kind of giving them skills for life as opposed to looking at it at, from a predominantly only a performance perspective. Of course. Uh, yeah, I mean, team sports, you know, they can, uh, they can give you a huge amount of life lessons going forward. And, you know, a lot of these sports that they, they're funding, you could argue are elitist sports, um, that most, you know, most people are never really ever going to be able to, you know, get involved in. Um, so, you know, like you could, you, you make that, I mean, that's the argument that I always come back to is, you know, you could change a lot of lives, you know, with, with the teams, with, with team sports, you know, basketball has taught me more life lessons than, you know, anything else I've ever been involved with school, university, college, anything like basketball for me is kind of, you know, giving me my, you know, most of my life lessons, you know, and I still continue to use those life lessons, you know, now being coach, but it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things that we continue to argue about, you know, we always get frustrated about it and we say, you know, we don't have enough money. We can't do this. We can't do that. But, you know, we can't keep using that as an excuse as well. I think that we always, always say, you know, we haven't got enough money and we can't do this. And, you know, that's the reason that we, we're not good at this. We're not, then, you know, we've, we've got to make do with what we've got. And I think that if, if that's the case and we don't have the money a lot of the time, then we've got to have everyone working together. Um, you know, if, if you start, if, if, if we've not got huge amounts of funding and we have lots of people, you know, not working together, then it, it makes it so much more dysfunctional. You know, if, 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 if there are issues and, you know, the whole funding issue is, is a big one, then we've got to make sure that you, you've got the people at the top working together. Because if you don't have that, um, you know, and you put on top of that, you know, not huge amounts of funding, then, you know, the sport is just, it's not going to grow. It's not going to get better. But James, do you not think this, that argument with the funding is a little bit, um, not forward thinking in a way, because that system is not, it's only been there. What is it? Just over 20 years. Whereas Mm -hmm. before 96, it didn't exist. Mm -hmm. So is it maybe an easy way out? So to speak. Yeah, of course. I think it, I think that's, you know, that's the excuse we always use is we don't have enough money, you know? Um, well, if that's the case, then, well, what else are we doing, you know, to, to, to try and get, you know, more, like, for example, we say we don't have enough funding. Well, why have we looked at, you know, sponsorship, you know, like all these, you know, these other sports have huge amounts of revenue stream coming in from sponsorship. You know, do we, do we do anything like that? Do we have, you know, do we have 
do we have deals with, you know, like a, a big expense for us as a national team at my, my age group is being able to find affordable hotels for players and staff when we have training camp. Well, have we ever gone to, you know, have we ever gone to uh, Premier Inn or one of these groups and said, you know what, look, this is our issue. What can you do for us? You know, like, I, I don't know. I don't know these aren't, you know, I, I, I don't know if these are things that have ever been, you know, looked into and maybe they have been looked into and we, we haven't got very far with them or, you know, they've just been no-goes. But I think the whole, you know, the whole funding thing we use as an excuse all the time, you know, like we don't have enough money. Well, do you know what? Some of these national teams in other countries, you know, they, they don't have huge amounts of funding either, but they seem to be pretty successful. Um, so yeah, we can't, we can't continue to use that as an excuse. I don't think, I mean, it's not, it's not easy, you know, obviously we would like more money because it would make things, you know, easier for all of us, but you know, we've got to find other solutions, you know, to these problems. Can't, we can't always blame it just on, on not having enough money. I think you raise a good point in terms of sponsorship. Uh, I think maybe the only quarry from, uh, say, the the business is not maybe wanting to jump on, jump on board would maybe be because they don't see it as, oh, what would it be? Uh, they're not getting anything in return because it's not the, the, the coverage is not as good as it should be retrospectively. Maybe, yeah. The other, you know, like this... Yeah, uh, and you know, like, you know, like a big thing that I uh, I hear a lot of the a lot of the time is you know we it's not on it's not on TV you know like basketball is not on you know Sky Sports anymore and I, I mean I remember when I first when I was first getting into you know watching basketball in this country and I mean I used to go to some some games and they, you mean you know there's ten thousand people there you know this is not like a it's not like an end of season final. This is like a regular season game. Um, and I, I actually found a, a program from, it was a long time, I mean, long, long time ago. But there, there was a game where I went to watch it at the Royal Albert Hall, you know? And that was on Sky Sports too, you know? Like, don't get me wrong, like, back then, you know, it was it was a big deal being on Sky Sports. But once again, like, we, we can't use that as an excuse, you know? Um We've, we've got to find ways, you know, to, to, to try and be successful. And, you know, like, if, if we really need to be back on TV, then, you know, then is, is, I don't know. Is the product good enough? Is it better than it was back then? You could argue it probably isn't. Um, uh, but, you know, it's another issue. But then, James, could you not argue um... – with not using, say, social media now and, and, and doing the likes of, I don't know, uh, Facebook Live. And if you have people within your club that are good enough to be able to produce the product, mm-hmm. do it that way. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so many different ways now, isn't it? You know, and, you know, I think the BBL now has, you know, that you can watch the games online uh, a lot of time. Um, I think they have like a, a way that you can watch them online for an e-pay subscription. Um, you know, a lot of teams are Facebook Live now. I know that us at Barking, we're now uh, exploring putting all of our games on Facebook Live. Uh, I know that I think Leicester Riders have done some of their pre-season stuff on Facebook Live. And I mean, Leicester Riders do a huge amount of stuff. You know, they have a guy there, Joe Pynchon, who's, you know, 
really good at what he does with all the media stuff. And um, but yeah, they're, they're, I mean, there's obviously different ways you could go about, you know, trying to you know promote the game, and you know that could be a way that kind of you know attracts more people into the sport. But you know, it's once again, you know, a lot of times especially at the higher levels, they're looking for revenue streams, you know, they're not maybe looking for, you know, just to get people in the door. They're trying to, you know, trying to make money. But then you, you bring up a, probably a very big problem there. If the clubs are willing to do it and the, and the federation isn't, isn't that a massive problem? Well then, yeah, that's, that's the whole thing, isn't it? You know, it's having, you know, the federation working with your, your, your pro league as well, working together, you know, that's, there needs to be synergy between those two, um, those two fields as well. Uh, you got to make sure that the you know GB basketball is working together with BBL. You know that's that's an important relationship for everything we spoke about today. Um, that is a very very important relationship. You know they've got to be working together too. But I think it's it's, it's probably maybe as you say, people need to be singing off the same hymn sheet, and it's. As you well can attest to, pro pro teams are very much. I'm not going to generalise because the likes of say the bigger leagues um, of Spain, Greece, Turkey, to just name them, uh, obviously are not as short sighted with their contracts. They will offer players, well, we'll say at minimum maybe two year contracts. Whereas if we look at us as a country, most of the time you're seeing. Well, the exports only getting one year deals, so it's. I don't know how you can even, from one essence, be able to even have a sustainable product. Yes, yeah, it's, it's difficult, you know. And, and and pro basketball in Europe at the moment is, you know, it's it's been quite a difficult time for pro basketball in Europe, um, in general. You know, um, I, I know quite a few coaches from Spain and they're saying, you know, they're having similar difficulties over there. You know, the, the money's just not there like it used to be. I mean, I, I've seen it firsthand. I mean, I was in Denmark and, you know, we, the first year I was there, we had the most successful season the club has ever had. Um, and then the next season, you know, we think we're getting more funding, more money coming in and then it's just cut, you know, it's just, you know, that, that, and that's not uncommon to happen in, you know, a lot of pro teams throughout throughout Europe. So yeah, it's it's a difficult time for pro basketball in Europe. But do you do you think it comes down to well, this is probably a difficult one in terms of people have a number of outlets that they can obviously spend their time on, be it social media, you've got we'll say we'll say countless television programs you could watch just and that's excluding that's not even including sport yeah it's true i mean yeah you, you there's, i mean like you say there's so many different you know uh you know like you said there's so many different things people can do these days you know maybe you know especially you know it's, it's not a, it's a tough time for everyone and in, in, like economically you know maybe that's one of the first things that goes you know like if you know if you want to if you want to go, you know, watch a, a sports game, you know, that's maybe one of the first things that you're like, you know, what we can do without that, you know, we can, uh, 
we won't spend, you know, that 10, that, that 20, 30 pounds to get into the sports game as a family to a basketball game. Maybe we'll spend, you know, we need that money somewhere else. Um, so, yeah, I mean, economically, I think it's, you know, like, and like you said, you know, there's so many different things now, you know, like you, you talk about, you know, uh, having, you know, seen it firsthand now with this age group. I mean, it's the first time I've been with this age group, the 16s, you know, but, you know, the amount of times you see, you know, the, the amount of times they're on their phone, you know, um, you know, we talk about it being a generation thing, you know, like, a, it's, it's, you know, in, in our generation, it was different, you know, like I remember in summer holidays, all I did was go out and play sports, you know, I went to the park, play football, play basketball, you know, wherever it might be, but, you know, generation has changed and obviously, you know, that's, it's, it's different now. Um, but, you know, I, I could talk about that all day long. <laughs> but do you, generation change. Do you not think it maybe goes even further than that and not being general, general, uh, generation gap, but being maybe even a societal one, it, it's become acceptable to, to obviously do that as opposed to, um, and you could probably delve a little, even deeper than that, and this is what probably frightens me to some extent, is obviously P is not a core subject in school, which I I would probably argue, be it from an act, being an ex athlete, being within the fitness industry, uh, in the long run, I would say health is probably more important than well, I would say definitely probably English to a certain extent because okay yes you need to learn the English language and be able to speak properly. But some of the things, and I had an argument with, it, with, with my mother about this last night. Um, yes, you need to be able to speak the language, but when are you going to use, I don't know, your grammar in a day-to-day scenario? Yeah. Never, really. Yeah. Yes, you have to be able to speak properly. Yeah. You're not going to say, oh, this is an adverb, uh, a noun, uh, a verb within a sentence when you're speaking to somebody in the street. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, I mean, it is, for me, like, like you said, P not being a core subject to me is absolute, you know, that's for me, it's craziness. Um, I mean, I, I, I see it kind of both sides. I feel like, I feel like, like English, you know, English, math, science, and for me, PE, that's the, you know, those four core subjects is something that, you know, everyone should do. I mean, health and fitness is incredibly important, you know, like, I, I mean, I, 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 I'm shocked these days that, you know, some, some kids will never do it. You know, they could go through the whole of school and never do any kind of exercise whatsoever. Um, you know, it's kind of is, is a little bit worrying. Um, but you know, that's, that's kind of the way that it's gone, you know, and there's not much we can do about that. It's, that's the way that this kind of school is now, you know, like, uh, you know, kids aren't, you know, they're not as, you know, excited now by sports as maybe they were when we were, you know, when we were young, you know, like I remember when, uh, when, when I was at school, I, I played every sport, you know, I don't, th- I don't think I had a choice either. I don't even remember having a try. I think I played every sport. I played football, rugby, uh, you know, I played basketball, which was my like kind of main sport. And, you know, I, I played everything. I played tennis, you know, hockey, and, you know, I played in all those teams and, I don't think I really had a choice, but that, I think that was benef- that, that, that helped me a lot, you know. Um, 
but yeah, it's, it, is, it is definitely a worrying trend. Would you think maybe, say, from a coaching perspective, do you think it needs the maybe the academic sphere needs a shake up to kind of tailor it to the modern society that we've become? Obviously, this obesity is right. So, to kind of teaching the kids, I don't know, even maybe say at primary school level about what they're eating. Say not not say this is P, but maybe terming it something else. Yeah. You could talk. I mean, the, the, there was a class when I I I, um, I went to high school in America for one year, and we had a class called Health. You know, and that was pretty much that was that class. You know, and that was you know you learned about diet, you learned about you know hygiene, you learned about you know how much exercise you should be doing, you know, all of those kind of things. Maybe. Maybe that is something that you kind of tailor it towards. But for me, it's like, I just don't know why it was taken out in the first place. If it, if it, were, it, it wasn't broken back then, you know, like what was the reason for taking it out now? I don't really understand the reasoning behind it. You know, we, we all know that how beneficial it was for us as kids, you know, playing sports, you know, I don't understand why nowadays that's now, you know, academically that's not important. I, I, I don't really understand that. For me, it's not even about, I don't even think we should really be tailoring it towards, you know, a new generation. You know, the benefits are still there, even for this generation, even if we did it the old school way, um, we've just kind of gone away from it. I, I don't really understand that one stuff. And out of curiosity, James, did you do also do home ec at, uh, in, when you were in the US? Uh, no, I didn't. No, I didn't do home ec. But then do you not see that as from probably from your perspective obviously being with the national setup do you think that should be a requirement at school for a lo- as in the as in for the long-term development of the as of, in, of the individual yeah yeah definitely home home ec is i remember doing it at school my set not in high school but uh, in the states but i remember doing it at my secondary school and it's it's another thing it's, it's you know it's important i mean you know these things are kind of not deemed to be important anymore, but you know, I think they are definitely, definitely beneficial for, you know, younger kids and, you know, don't know why, you know, we've kind of gone away from these kind of things, but it seems to be like, you know, like you said, it's a worrying trend uh, for schooling going forwards in this next generation. But do you think it's those core subjects, well, not core subjects, but the, the ones that are kind of on the periphery, do you think to some extent, okay, you're not going to please everybody with PE because not everybody likes sport, but obviously if you rebranded it and called it something else. Yeah, but then it's, it's, it's once again, you get back to the, you know, like, do you know what? I, there was times where I went to school, I didn't want to do PE, you know, but sometimes, you know, you kind of have to do things that you don't always want to be, you know, you have to do things that, not necessarily, you know, I feel like the nowadays you can just pick your way through like, yeah, I don't really want to do that. So I'm just going to do this instead. You know, sometimes you have to be put in situations where, you know, not necessarily you want to do it, but you have to do it. You know what I mean? Um, you know, there'd be times where you went into school and it was, you know, it's, it's snowing outside and your PE teacher's like, right, we're going out to play hockey. And you're like, oh, you know, but you know, you did it. <laughs> 
But now, like, you know, very rarely are kids put in difficult situations, you know. They're just given the easy route every single time. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, we talk about, you know, rebranding it and, you know, trying to make it sound better maybe for the kids than what it really is. But for me, you, I don't even know if they should really be given the choice, you know. That's part, that's, for me, it's a core subject that should be done, you know. Everyone should learn about, you know, the benefits of exercise um you know playing sports you know the life lessons you learn from sports all of those things you know not necessarily you know every kid is going to do it and then go into a you know play you know you know after school football play for a football team play for a basketball team rugby team but you know they still should all do it you know that's still part of you know that's part of learning you you should you should still be you should still have to do those things in my view anyway um you know and i feel like you know sometimes you know kids these days are maybe given the easy route too often you know sometimes you know sometimes you have to do things that you don't want to do that's part of life if i use my experience now james uh, in mm-hmm. terms of uh, going to school in secondary school i went to Amer- american school for throughout all the way my secondary education mm-hmm. i think from the outside looking in and i think this has been raised like on politics shows which is a different story altogether uh, about what is the best form of education in the world. Obviously, I I was fortunate enough with my parents working for NATO. I did my primary schooling in the Belgian system, my secondary school in the US, and then I came to back to do my tertiary education in the UK. So I can kind of, I won't say I'm the, an expert in, in kind of which would be the best, but I can kind of look at the pros and cons of each academic system and say well this has got its flaws in this but these are the pro i think from looking at and kind of using coming to my point i think the american system has got it right in terms of you've got high school level you've got to do at least one year of pe to yeah. even graduate yeah yeah 100 percent agree like it's uh you know like we said you know I, I, we've spoke about, you know, the whole obesity issue, you know, like, and don't like, I, I don't, I don't profess to be perfect in this sense as well, because when I, when I stopped playing sports, I mean, I, I wasn't the fittest person at all, you know, like I, I put on quite a bit of weight, you know, and, you know, after you stopped play, you know, I stopped playing completely in my twenties and I put on quite a bit of weight, but, you know, I've, I've actually educated myself into, you know, where learning about healthy lifestyle, healthy diet, learning about exercise. You know, someone at our academy taught me all this stuff. Duncan Ogilvy, he uh, he's the the strength and conditioning lead for England basketball, and he taught me all this stuff again. You know, and you're never too old to learn. But you, like you said, it's just you know, it's it's a worrying trend, and you you, you would hope that you know. That you know the, the education system would would look at this and 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 start to realise you know there is a serious problem, um, and you know they could reverse that I think fairly easily you know if they just you know I, I just think the kids yeah they're sometimes just given too too any too easier route you know like you know you know why 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 are they told now that they don't have to do PE you know like you can just I mean that's a worrying thing for me is you could go a whole a whole education cycle without ever doing a PE class <laughs> uh, is quite that is quite worrying. Well, it's it's 
quite bad on and on that count because well that one you really shouldn't be given a choice because if they're not doing it they're really or you could use the term they're dosing a, they're not doing they're not physically doing anything for that period of time during the day yeah yeah exactly so not to not you could say they're not even learning learning anything if you go down really deep yeah of course. But if we kind of come back and go full circle and using that, that topic there, I think uh, probably a good one for, say, for the, the, the sporty ones that are listening is probably, he's probably looking to you, you tap those resources as much as you can. Be, be it strength and trying to, like, as you've, you've tested to uh, towards the end, is probably trying to better yourself, be it knowledge base, um, trying to get, well, at that level, be even if it is under 16s and upwards, it's all about those percentages. If you can get 1% over somebody else in the long run, especially once you get to senior level, that 1% is a massive difference. Yeah, is is really important. You know, um, I think that that's one area in basketball I think we've come on a huge amount in the last, you know, five to six years is the is definitely the strength and conditioning side. Um, I, I would say that we're definitely one of the better teams. Having, having, you know, seen how some of the other, you know, national teams work, I think that strength and conditioning wise, I think we're amongst the best uh, in Europe when it comes to that side of things. Um so, yeah, like you say, you know, those small percentages, you know, we can get, you know, you know, the the, the 1%, you know, if, all, if, if you get, you know, 10 players, 5% better, you know, conditioning-wise, you know, that just, that helps you, your team no end. But, James, but some people might argue that is maybe somewhat sometimes detriment to the game because obviously it's, it's no point being fitter than another team if your fundamentals are not sound, is yeah, it? It's true. And you need to find the, it's, it's about finding the balance, you know, um, you know, obviously we've come on huge amounts and strength and conditioning field, but then obviously the other side needs to catch up, which I feel like is the side you're talking about, you know, the fundamental side, the coaching side, we bring that level up, you know, then obviously you go from, you know, being an incredibly fit team, but also being fundamentally as good as all the other teams we then become a you know a very dangerous uh, team um, compared to all the others because I mean that's the, the the one area that I always when I speak to other coaches um, from all around the world they they all say this they, a lot of them say the same thing they say your teams are very you know a lot of the time they're very athletically gifted you know you have great athletes you um, but you, fundamentally you're not very good you know your decision making your reading of the game isn't particularly good so. You know, if, if, if that's the case, then like you said, that side of it needs to catch up slightly. So, you know, our strength and conditioning side, I, I think, is, is, is very, very good at the moment. The other side needs to catch up. So we need to get, you know, all the stuff we've been speaking about on the podcast today, you know, the coach education, all that stuff. Hopefully then, you know, the basketball side of things starts to catch up. I think it come, probably comes down to that big one as efficiency. It's yep. the, 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 the name of the, well, we, we've said it, it's, and I've kind of argued it on two points. 
uh, with another episode is the game, name of the game is to score more points than the opposition. But yes. you do you don't want to be leaking points for the sake of it as well. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yep. So last question, James, before we wrap up the episode. Sure. If you had to summarize this entire episode into one sentence for people to take away, what would that be? Oh, that's a good question. We've, we've, uh, we've talked about lots of different things today, haven't we? Um, for me, for me, the, the, the big thing I always like in a lot of these, pod, like the, the few podcasts I have spoke about for me, it's coach education. Like for me is the most important thing in, uh, in developing a sport for me. That's, that's the one sentence for me that I kind of always, I'm very, like I said, at the, like at various points, I'm very passionate about coaching in this country, uh, basketball coaching that is, and, you know, I, I really feel like coach education is, is one area that I think that, uh, I'm very passionate about, I feel like that if we can get, you know, that part of the things right, you know, and everyone working, you know, synergy working together, I feel like that that's going to be a real kind of, you know, something that's going to improve our sport at no end going forwards. I think that, I think that's a great analogy there, James. So once again, thanks for coming on the Mindset Game podcast. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. And before I forget, I would really appreciate it if you would be so kind as to leave a short review as it helps to get the podcast more notoriety and it would be more visible in future to others and thus helping more people, which my guests and I are all about. Once again, thanks for listening and I'll catch you next time for another episode of the Mindset Game Podcast. Thank <laughs> you.